0: Welcome
1: to the Harper's Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the web editor. After the midterms on Tuesday, with many states boasting record turnouts for a non-presidential election, Democrats gained 35 seats in the House, seven governorships, and over 330 state legislators. Equally compelling, and let's face it, kind of frustrating, are the stories of competitors who nearly made it, such as Beto O'Rourke who failed to win, but invigorated Texas Democrats, successfully flipping many state Senate seats of judges. O'Rourke's campaign garnered national attention, not simply because of his charisma and progressive rhetoric, but because his competitor was Ted Cruz. And, well, who doesn't hate that guy? In this episode, I am joined by Anna Marie Cox, who considered the hatred directed at Cruz in our November issue with an article titled, The Tragedy of Ted Cruz. We discuss Cruz's self-made image, something between an apple-polishing debate nerd only a grandma could love, and a can-do conservative guided by Jesus, and assess the results of the midterms. Here's our conversation. Are you surprised by last night's results, and that he pulled
0: off? Oh, I'm not surprised. Um, I did think that uh, Beto had a chance, and I think it's going to look like he, it's, what, three points? Two and a half oh, really? sort of a Oh, really? Two thing. and a yes. half. Because that's actually, to put it in perspective, no Democrat has come within single digits in 20 right. years. And it's an unusual set of circumstances. It is hard to quantify how much Ted Cruz's clear, you know, repellence <laughs> <laughs> has to do with it. You know, as in with most elections, it's not any one thing. I think it's a combination of uh, Ted Cruz being a singularly unpopular and unlikable candidate with Beto being a singularly popular and likable candidate. And then also, you know, I think Beto did change the electorate in Texas a lot. And he changed it in a direction that it was already trending. Yes. But he actually got them to vote. My concern as someone who would like more people like Beto to be elected and fewer people like Cruz to be elected is that all of those first-time voters, all of those people that may have voted for a Democrat for the first time, I know how hard it is to have your first experience with electoral politics be a defeat. Right. As someone who grew up under the bushes. (laughs) Yes. Same. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, it it can be incredibly disheartening and it can turn you off from politics. And my hope is that that's not what's going to happen with this new electorate that was energized, not just in Texas, but across the country. And that's one of my pet peeves about some of the coverage that we're seeing in the aftermath of the election that emphasizes this somehow being a victory or vindication for Trump. There were a lot of progressive gains in in the election, in the midterms, and I feel like de-emphasizing those does a disservice to all these people that really turned out and worked in a way that is unprecedented.
1: Right, and I mean, I think another thing that was really valuable about this election is that we got to see just how difficult it is for a lot of people to vote. Yeah. More than just... Oh, it's raining outside. Mm-hmm. Like like in Texas, for instance, the fact that you have to be basically deputized, certified by the state in order to register voters. Right. That's absurd. Yep. But that's not even the worst of what. Oh, Texas
0: is not even like that bad. Exactly. Like Texas actually, I was telling someone like one of the reasons why Beto could come so close is that Texas is not Florida, is not Georgia. Right. Where I believe the election was stolen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I in Florida, especially. Well, I mean, they're still I'm getting counting. Like, like, tears in my eyes. It was. I mean, there's still a recount coming. They're still they're still counting. That it is because it is really that close. Yeah. If it wouldn't be close, if it weren't for the fact that vo- voting was suppressed, people right. were robbed of their franchise in millions of millions of ways, in these very specific ways that we could talk specifically about uh, registrations that were that were uh, rejected uh, voting machines that were literally unplugged Mm -hmm. um, uh, ballots that didn't work I mean I say this I've been saying this since Trump won which is that the demographics of the country and the politics of the country are trending in a direction that Republican strategy only makes sense if they plan on not having to win fair elections. Because if they if they knew they were going to have to win fair elections, they would not campaign with this kind of economic message and with this kind of racist message. They would have to moderate. Because they can only win with those messages if some people don't vote.
1: Well, I also think it's important... Only
0: statewide elections if some people don't vote. Right.
1: But I think... And this ties back to sort of the unappeal to us of Ted Cruz Mm -hmm. is that those messages that you're talking about are extremely attractive to old, white, rural voters. Mm -hmm. And that... Who are literally disappearing, but yes. Right. They're disappearing, but they're, you know, people live a long time now. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And I mean, I don't, and and I also think that you can't discount young, white, racist either. You know, people in Charlottesville, the the people who went to Charlottesville, not the people literally live there, but the people who converged there.
0: I think that, you know, it's funny. I actually think that, again, we need to be very careful in talking about that trend because I think we give it more life than it deserves. Because if you just look at the literal breakdown of voting, of course, um, even in rural areas, young people tend to vote for progressive candidates. Yeah.
1: Cause they don't want the world to explode right? and they understand and, and how and things so work.
0: Let's not give too much credit to the, to the Charlottesville type people, because what I think that happens in those kinds of, it's not that that's not a, a thing right. that young people aren't radicalized in a, you know, to be white nationalists, but I think that they sort of um, sustain a larger cohort of, of older um, white nationalists who were who hoping to have a, have a next generation come behind them. Of course. Again, like we sort of perpetuate a message that that's a, that's a possibility, and so people get attracted to it. And there's a great sort of a number of different essays and talks that have been given in the past couple of years about the oxygen of amplification mm-hmm. and about how our coverage, our, the media not us in particular, but the media's coverage of alt-right and white nationalism has kind of created a permission structure.
1: Of course it has. For young people. (laughs) Well, and especially when, you know, some- Who
0: who normally might just become like punk rockers or something, They're, they're alienated and they're unhappy. And they might've become like losers in some general sense, but they wouldn't have like known, oh, this white nationalism thing is an option can give me the kind of satisfaction and social circle that I that I want
1: especially because so many of those articles have been written in isn't it funny isn't it It, weird isn't it cute like this guy
0: he has a nice haircut in this arch way that is supposed to kind of that that presumes it's actually written about it's actually the liberal bubble it's actually the fact that like these writers presume that everyone who reads what they're writing agrees with them you know. Yes. And so that people will read, people will read it, and know that the ideas are objectionable. They'll know that this is like a, a an unacceptable thing to do, and really, that what white nationalists are counting on is that kind of like credulity. Really. Of course, and I mean, it got Steve Bannon to the White House.
1: Yeah. It got It got it's, a lot of things accomplished right. in, can, in a short this, amount of time.
0: I can bring this back to Ted Cruz, actually, of which course. is that. One of the disappointing things about him (laughs) (laughs) is I think he's smart enough to kind of he would understand this critique. He probably he probably knows about this critique Um, and he still does it. He, He does his part in the process anyway. Like when he talks about Alex Jones, you know, and he he he. He does this thing where he's like, "Well, I disagree with Alex Jones, but I think he should have the right to speak." He he, that normalizes him, that like makes his ideas part of the acceptable range of discourse. Of course, yeah. And and then and then of course he says, but the NFL players shouldn't be allowed to kneel, whatever.
1: Right. It is this problem of gotta hear all sides, except for the ones that I really don't want to hear from. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I mean that's a problem. Yeah. But again, I I think maybe it's even just generational. Different publications don't really understand.
0: I think it's generational, and unfortunately, I think it's actually a lot of people of my generation, like short of Gen X generation, because we're so steeped in eyebrow raising kind of like snarkiness (laughs) right? that there's a sense of like, well, I don't need to actually comment on this. Like you'll just know. I'll just describe it hilariously and withering. I'll just be withering in my sarcasm (laughs) and you'll know what I think. And I mean, that's something I'm, I'm pretty good at myself, but I think what sort of my journey (laughs) (laughs) of the past few years has been, has been you know that's not necessarily like wrong or bad to do that kind of style of writing, but what you're going to have to do in fact, I think actually something in my piece that if I could do it, everyone wants to do things differently, but of like <laughs> if I could add something to it in an already five thousand word piece um I kind of wish I'd been able to like get in that like there are real people who suffer because of Ted Cruz, yeah, like there are lives that are worse today than they were eight years ago because of Ted Cruz or even longer because he was, I mean, he was a, um, you know, a a solicitor general for Texas. Right. And Um, before that he was
1: instrumental in the 2000 election, the George W. Bush case. Right.
0: Right. So there are people like people suffer in real terms because of Ted Cruz. And, Nothing about his fandom of Star Trek like makes that better. No, you know, <laughs> it absolutely does not. Um, but he, but you only can do certain things. Not every piece can do everything. I'll try no, to. No, I'll no. say that to. Uh, no, no, no. Pat myself, <laughs> comfort myself, and I do. I mean, it's the, funny. Like I feel like the, to just talk specifically about the piece. Like for me, like the the heart of the piece is kind of the last like four paragraphs. Yes. Because um, I
1: wanted to actually ask about because you at the, you in the conclusion you're talking about this caricature Mm -hmm. and he's sort of like, well, the media has created this caricature of me, but he's also created a caricature of himself throughout his life. He has been his memoir, his autobiography, what you want to call it? He was very explicit about, well, this is what I did to try and be popular. Mm -hmm. And you can see him and you lay out very clearly. He still does this to this day. And even when, again, it is morally, Shitty to do that, and it goes against his supposed conservative evangelical values. But this question of character in politics is so fundamental, I think, especially now because we're entering this era where a lot of people don't have gaps, and that the caricature of Beto, like he's you know, Beto is like Bart Simpson, and Ted Cruz is like Martin Prince, okay, and all right, and Um, like okay, and like Beto just. Because he is a
0: Democrat, I think he he's more like Lisa Simpson than, than Bart. But okay, he only skateboards. He skateboards, dirt. but he's so <laughs> earnest. He is very earnest. And like, I can't imagine like him saying, "Don't have a cow, man." Like, he's more like, "Have a cow." Like, yes. get, get worried, <laughs> get concerned, and that's more okay. of a Lisa thing. Of course, like, of course. But I mean, okay. But so, he's. But but I would definitely say um, that uh, Ted is. Well, Ted is Ned Flanders, except Ned Flanders is kind of sympathetic in a way. Like, right. there's no Simpsons character that really. I'm sorry to, to <laughs> disrupt your metaphor here. <laughs> no, but it's like, okay. It's hard to map exactly of the cosmology. It's of, hard to map the cosmology because also like the Simpsons characters. Every single one of them like is 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 has some endearing quality. Of course. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, 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 And Ted Cruz like his endearing qualities are things I think that they're accidental. And they're also they require some projection on my part. Yeah. <laughs> but could we
1: could, could you lay those out? You admit in the piece that you have like kind of this conflicted relationship to him, even though he is kind of this
0: terrible person. Terrible yeah.
1: person um, who is totally constructed, but at the same time I mean, my my point with the character thing was simply that because know, was a is a democrat. Right, right. He has there's this caricature of they're gonna take away our guns. Right. And they're gonna give us more taxes. And, you know, this was a problem that Obama, Hillary, any sort of major Democratic Party candidate has had where it's like, I'm really not gonna take away your guns.
0: Except I feel like it <laughs> was almost like I do feel like he's a he's an unusual candidate for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that he didn't he never Like tried to run away from progressive caricature. Like if he he was like, yeah, like you know, I'm going to do more gun legislation. I'm going to do things that might upset you if you're someone who believes in the kind he believes in smaller government, less taxes. Like you're not going to like everything that I do, Um, which is a different message than Democrats have tried to run on in Texas, especially. Yes, in Texas, they've they've basically said I'm not really a Democrat. Right. Whereas. But it was like no I'm a democrat I'm a progressive. Yeah. But his promise was but I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to do things that I think are for the that are for the best for all of Texas. Whereas Cruz's argument was I'm going to do things that are good for conservatives. Right. Yes. And that was his argument and and you know and that worked for conservatives Sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And there are more conservatives than liberals in Texas. And so, you know, there you go. But um, to get back to sort of me and Ted, um, (laughs) which would have been another title for the piece, like Ted and Me, um, I feel like my sympathy and empathy for him come from a sense, my personal sort of sense of self-consciousness, you know, growing up and some similar things in our background only ch- like he's functionally an only child his sisters are a lot older than he is um I don't think I say this in the piece but it's true like I have an alcoholic parent and he has an alcoholic parent um his dad is alcoholic until he uh, was born again right um which i by the way like i totally think of as basically equivalent to getting sober in some kind of program like it's a spiritual uh, revelation or something and it, it probably worked for him mm-hmm. you know i no person to judge otherwise but even if you're, if he you got sober, there's a lot of damage that's done from having a parent who basically, like the hallmark of alcoholism, I speak as a recovering alcoholic myself, is incredible self involvement, right? And selfishness. And what that does to a child of alcoholic, again, speaking as one myself, is a classic sort of um, hallmark is overachieving and feeling like, you need to be someone else besides who you are in order to be loved and accepted. Right. Because you're chasing after this a parental approval that will just never come because the alcoholic is just too wrapped up in their own shit yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, to really, to provide it. And so I really see that kind of clearly in, in Ted Cruz's own autobiography Of his overachievement and his, like, constant kind of, like, striving to do the thing that's going to be whatever it is that makes him okay.
1: Right. And in that it is a very, like, name. I mean, I can't help but think of, you know, when he was a debater, he only wanted people from certain IVs yeah. on his team. That was he was in
0: law school. He was oh, in law me, school. Law school. When he was doing a study group in law school, he said he only wanted IVs to be in his study group. Right.
1: So he, yeah. and it, and again, I, I, I totally agree with your assessment where it's like he is very focused on that recognizable Stamp of quality, yeah, and it, and you could see that all throughout, you know, the Republican debates.
0: Even being a, a lawyer, I mean, I've some again. I was attracted to becoming a lawyer too because I feel like in a way, like it's very attractive of that personality because there are wins and losses, mm-hmm. and you and you can if you win like it's a it's a win it's like a thing like you get yeah. a w right <laughs> it's like getting an a yes the grade the grade is like there mm-hmm. you know and um, he was an incredibly successful litigator one of yes. the most successful supreme court litigators in the country right. in terms of like how many cases he won like argued and won um he some, i think it was something like 7 out of 8 something like that mm-hmm. that's extraordinary like that's yes. really talented but another thing about that sort of the, that harkens back to this idea of like a, someone who's like doesn't feel whole in and of themselves and is like trying to do all these things on the outside is that um, I think Cruz uh, because he's so focused on getting the W <laughs> um, or the grade or the title or whatever um, he will do whatever it takes to do that and yep. I, I think that's the story of his politics too right like I don't think there's a lot of there there I just don't you know i mean how could there be like i think there might be some temperamental inclination to conservative ideas like it's all become kind of hollowed out and i do find that tragic like i, f- I think that is the tragedy of ted cruz is that he's hollowed him out himself out so much in in service of the achievements that he think might fill his soul It's just never going to happen. There's going to be nothing. He could become president and he's still going to feel fucking empty inside. Because that hurt that maybe started as a, you know, brilliant only child of an alcoholic parent. He's never done anything to try and heal that basic hurt.
1: Right. Because that's not part of the culture. Uh, yeah. That he is immersed
0: himself in I mean, because in, some a, in some ways he's a victim of toxic masculinity. But. But sure. Even though not He's part of it too. But yes. like <laughs> in, but in some ways though, like he's seriously like he just never was offered, you know, a way out of it. Like, I mean, I've consider myself lucky to have been an alcoholic that had a bottom that forced me to think about you know finding um, solace and, and comfort and, and fulfillment and things that weren't achievement, but there's a curse of being so brilliant. And he really is one of the smartest people I've ever talked to, which is he's just never going to fail to a degree that makes him search for other answers.
1: Right. And I mean, this, this election could have,
0: could have been, been it, it yeah. but it was not. There's a part of me that wanted to write that, but of course you know, yeah. it would have been hard to speculate. But it also he had an opportunity when he when he lost the GOP nomination, yeah, and instead he bra- embraced Trump. Like,
1: I know, and that I feel like that is also a big story because that really alienated a lot of people who were very ride or die for him.
0: I think that also that's one of the reasons why it was close um, yes. last night is that I think there were people that stayed home because they didn't want to vote for Ted Cruz and they didn't want to vote for a Democrat either. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why you saw gains in the Texas, ho- in Texas house races mm-hmm. um, is partly it's the upward pull of Beto and partly it's the downward pull of people just not turning out. Like in suburbs, Cruz helped change Texas politics too, right? you know, by being such a repellent figure. And, it, you know, another thing I want to say that it didn't quite make it into the piece is that there's a part of me that thinks, you know, there are are probably some pretty sad times in Ted Cruz's life, like, right? But you can't, you can't. S- oh, I mean, speculate. Yeah, I know. But like, there's because I army. mean the whole
1: thing with his wife, yeah. like that whole story and that how that's unresolved. But then it's like you don't want to project too much because then you run the risk of
0: giving him too much of a benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but also in you know. There's a level of like kind of personal cruelty the way that people talk about him that I feel like it's not it's sad like and members of his own party and members of his own party and like they talk and also like people on the left make fun of his looks which come on guys like we should not do that you know and to also pick on his family like the ad I think I refer the headline I referenced in the piece about you know Ted Cruz's daughters asked better over to be their daddy right. It's funny, but also these are two like preteen girls. I don't know. I just was like that. That could that would hurt. Well, you, you know, like I think that that could hurt a family. Sure, but I mean, yeah, I'll laugh it out, maybe. Maybe I'm no, overreacting. No, 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 earnest. no. I mean, I'm I'm just saying that like, and there's just- plenty of kids at the border that you know. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, they, was, yeah, I was, yeah. Mean, they don't have parents that would also like someone to be their dad because their dad's been forcibly, like, yes. <laughs> you um, know. So,
1: but I mean, the, 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 but that's like the thing of politics, of course, is yeah. that when you run for public office, one of the many weird, nonsensical, fucked up, stupid things about electoral politics is that when you run for an office, everything about your life is potentially.
0: Scrutinized. But we've usually the, said kids, like, non-adult children are off the table. But
1: again, like, we're in f- fantastic times yeah. where everything that was sort of, all of the norms are sort of going away.
0: Yeah. And but I like, kind of have a feeling that if t- tables were turned and someone, like, mocked the preteen children of, like, a, if a, a Democrat, like, I think oh, I people would be pretty, fu- like, Democrats would be furious. In well, a way that, like, I don't think, the other sad thing about that headline is that Republicans didn't come to his rescue. Of course not. Yeah, but I mean, I'm like, that's kind of, that's actually the incredible thing. But
1: Chelsea Clinton, as a very awkward preteen girl, was roasted.
0: No, she actually, no, 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 actually, I would push back on that. She, there was mocking of her, but Democrats pushed back really, really hard. That's true. And some Republicans even would come, you get sort of a dutiful, but still true. And when you think about it, that, that, that onion headline, silence.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, literally Silence from yeah. Republicans about that. No, I saw no one anywhere be like, "Come on, guys." But can I just say even that And come on, they're so easy. Republicans these days are so primed to take offense at shit. Of course. Like it they need their safe spaces. Yeah, more, they do. But think about it. More. Like they could have done something if they oh, wanted yeah. to. Somebody could have could have said like this is terrible and like Isn't how dare you and, you know, you right. say you care about children, but look at what you, And I know I'm making maybe too much to deal about like one onion story, but it was a pretty like savage piece. And it also, again, the fact that no one stood up for him.
1: The thing about his sort of lack of Mm charm, overall, we're at this turning point where there is the type of person politics attracts. Yeah. Where they're like very rules oriented, love procedure, love their lanyard, and then there's the type of person that voters actually want to elect who is a charming, charismatic, or maybe just says, st- wants to shake shit up. And like you could see that, you know, even in something like the Mazel's primary where you have John F. Kennedy, who's young, handsome, attractive, very charismatic. And then you have Hubert Humphrey, who's a total snooze. And there's clearly like that dynamic. There was this there was that dynamic here. But again, I feel like. Again, because Texas is a unique case and because he has, for even though his agenda is evil, he has been very efficient
0: yeah. in getting shit done. I also want to push back a little bit on the idea that, that politics, it mainly attracts rules-oriented people. And I, it attracts a lot of idealists as well. I'm no, talking and also a lot of rule breakers. Absolutely. I mean, like the and people who think they can get away with shit. And who right. I mean, Bill Flanders, Flanders and is Gary it? Hart, I mean, yeah, yes, Donald Trump. Don- like, there's definitely a pretty healthy subset of politicians that what they love about politics is 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 breaking the rules of it, mm-hmm. and also the manipulativeness of it, and also I mean, to talk about, I mean, in sort of in some ways, they're just they're playing by politics' other set of rules, which are about about charisma, right? Um. And yeah, I mean Ted, Ted is a. I think that the TED model, the rules following model, that also is Hillary Clinton model, by Absolutely. the way. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I think what we sort of see with her and with him is that those people tend not to make it to to president. Yeah. The presidential, you know, uh, level is actually the place where you you were you find those. That are either rule followers who can um, show uh, a level of charm that kind of gets them past, like the fuddy duddy sort of um, the turnoff that that can be, mm-hmm. or you get people that are that are charismatic with who follow the rules just enough <laughs> in order to pass all of the hurdles. Right,
1: that but you I'm need thinking, to be
0: president. Well, Richard
1: Nixon. Famously uncharismatic, yeah. But then also, bit of a rule. Let's call Watergate a little bit of a rule breaker. I would say though, but
0: he's more attracted. But he, I would actually say that um, Nixon broke the rules in order to follow them. If that makes sense, like he had, he was He had a very specific set of things that he wanted to do, and also he believed in like conservatism, conservative. Like he was a conservative, like unlike Donald Trump. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, he really was trying to do some conservative things. And also, for most of his career, he was a backbencher. He was, um, his nickname in college was Iron Butt um, because he was such a grind. Right. Like, he, he studied harder than anyone else. And I think there's some quote about him that he knew he wasn't as smart as the other people in his, his class. I can't remember where he went to law school, but I think it was someplace pretty, I think it might have been Ivy League, but he mm-hmm. like, knew he wasn't as smart as they were. And so he just studied his ass off. Um. So I think he was actually more in the rule follower mode.
1: Yeah. Until his I'm back saying. was
0: against the wall. Right. And that's then, what I'm.
1: That's what I'm saying is that yeah. you can't. You can ascend. Like there, there, there's no hard and fast rules no. about politics, and especially like right now. Right. You can see that friction happening where, you know, both parties are kind of struggling with internal internally what their party is about. Where on the left, you know, Democrats, a lot of you know, a lot of it is just perpetuating fundraising where it's like, well, you know, it's being sort of center right, center left. And then there's this, you know, new class of people like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, Andrew Gillum, if he gets in, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but there, there is sort of this pull. It's like, well, you know, is are we going to have a truly progressive agenda or are we just going to be like, hey, we're not those Racist guys, and it's a and it's that is a struggle there, and then also on the well, right, think, it's like
0: well, no, I think this is a, sort of a pet peeve with the instant analysis that's happening right now, which is that I think um, the Democrats or progressives' identity crisis is a feature, not a bug, mm. uh, because if you look at the people that won across the country last night. You have Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania and have AOC here. Yes. You have, um, looks like Tester's going to pull it out in Montana. Um, and you have, um, you know, progressive candidates winning uh, in the progressive states. So you have like, I probably remember another progressive Senate candidate. Oh, you have Sherrod Brown winning Ohio. That's what it'd be. That, that's a good example, actually. Yeah. Tester in Montana and Sherrod Brown in Ohio. Sherrod Brown's an unapologetic progressive. Yes you know and he he's the only democrat statewide in ohio right now but my and my point is that democrats have an ideological diversity that people keep on trying to say is a weakness it's not but it's not and so this identity crisis is actually like i hope they never solve it <laughs> i <laughs> hope i hope that progressive and sometimes i get pushed back from people like even further left than i am about this about like you should want you know Kamala harris to to not ever been a prosecutor or <laughs> you 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 know like you should want people like cory booker to um and not ever to have cooperated with banking you know i mean and i kind of part of me is like yeah like in the i would like our party to move in a in a direction where it becomes unacceptable to have some of the positions that i don't like yeah but you know i am i would rather have a party that can have have all of that and win in places that they're supposed, you know, and win and get a majority in the house, then have this party um, that the Republican party looks like right now, which is like so so homogeneous. Like it's like just statistically, if you look at who's who is a Republican, like it's not just that they're all that it's like straight white people straight, white, rural, Christian people. It's that the ideological, you know, sameness yeah. is, is terror. I mean, like, and part of me is like, it's terrifying. Yeah. Because like, Trump is going to get worse. There's now like not even, you know, people on the left like to make fun of the, um, you know, ringing hand caucus. That used to exist in the Republican Party, which is the people that the Never Trumpers. The not, no, they can't call them Never Trumpers because like it was, it was like the mm, Trumpers, uh-huh. mm, <laughs> you know, because they would they were voting with him, but then would express their very yes. deep concern about his behavior and Jeff about you, yeah, Jeff conflict. Flake and Bob Corker and oh. um, Mark Sanford in Congress, and you know. And used to be Lindsey Graham, I guess. Um, and, and those people should, I, mean, I, I get make Mitt Romney, it actually, looks like Mitt Romney's going to be the exception. He might continue to be the mm, Trump guy in Congress. But So Jeff Flake and Bob Corker are examples of the, mm, mm, like, they didn't really ever do anything to hold Trump accountable. Ben Sass is another one, actually. Yes. Um, uh, but they did a lot of hand-wringing, and they did a lot of really concerned tweeting. And... The, and I understand and agree with the impulse to make fun of that, but I do think that that was a constraint on Trump. Like, at least he had somebody acknowledging somewhere, maybe you shouldn't be quite so racist, right? Hmm. And now those constraints are gone. No yeah. one he has any respect for is left to tell him, eh, maybe don't do that right
1: right but there are people who could theoretically fight him in a more tangible way and not in a way of ideas because i don't think i don't think it's much of a stretch to say donald trump is a man who is not very invested in ideas right he's not like obama who would open up the new york times opinion pages and be like how am i doing and sort of think about mm-hmm. these issues and like you know have these very measured responses donald trump i laugh thinking of him even trying to like read a fictional book and imagining the characters. Like it's just like there's just clearly he's not he's he's not operating on that level. And I think when he does promote things when he says he's going to do things like revoke birthright citizenship, it's not necessarily based on whether or not it is actually a feasible thing. No. It's just, you know what, I'm sick of
0: this, I'm gonna fix this and oh and well, it's not even that I'm probably it's not, not even, even that <laughs> it's just I'm I don't like brown people coming here I'm mad about this yes it's, it's an old it's an old man response yeah like, there's it's no like other... the brown people are coming here and having babies and those babies get treated like white children yeah and I don't want that yeah I don't want I won't don't want the brown babies to be treated as though they're white babies right and that's that is it I mean I don't know what you were you were making a point about constraints on Trump though
1: yeah, I mean, just that, I think that if there are, if there is a viable left option to push back oh, against him. I just
0: meant the in party, in his party. In par- yeah, but in, I don't in in think that party. ever meant anything. No, I mean, I do, but, they, well, we'll see. We will, we shall see. <laughs> because my prediction to you is he's going to get worse. I mean, he's always getting worse. Okay, fine, but like, his big lesson and what he's seeing on the TV, which is the His his own the only political consultant he listens to, right, (laughs) is you won, Mm -hmm. and your message of hate and fear won, and he's going to be like, all right, more hate and fear then, and you can say he's always getting worse, but just a but he he could have gotten a different message, and I think he was getting like some conflict. He's gotten worse over time. He's gotten worse over time also as the uh chorus has gotten softer
1: well I think that's but now they're that, just gone but isn't that the function of his rallies too yeah is sure. that he can go to a stadium however full it may be and, and he's been he doing say, more rallies like yes. this is
0: like I mean yeah so maybe you can I don't know maybe we're just like I just think I, I think that it matters that the that the uh Trump people are gone and I think it matters that the pundits are telling him he won and I've been saying like The only thing that will stop him from winning again in 2020 is a Democratic Congress. And I don't know if that will actually happen because the competing voices are the pundits he listens to on television um, and his own party.
1: Right. And then Sean Hannity, who is sort of crossed over. Yeah, both. To do both, which is
0: very... Worrying, but the other thing I want to say because I guess this is midterm analysis and my piece. Another re- another reason why the analysis, I guess, Trump won or Trump it worked or this is a victory or sp- even a split decision, which is my other pet peeve right now. Oh yeah, it's not a it's, uh, <sighs> split decision. Literally, the term "split decision" implies that there's like a tie. Right. <laughs> There's not a tie. More people voted for Democrats than people who voted for Republicans.
1: Right. And that's not that's not a tie. That's not a tie. You know, it's also not completely represented in how the races panned out.
0: Right. It's it's not. But and also uh, having a Democratic House and a Republican Senate isn't equal and opposite. Like those are two different forms of power. Yes. And this gets me to the point I wanted to make, which is that that subpoena and investigative power in the House mm-hmm. could undo everything that happened for the Republicans on Tuesday night. Exactly. One or two or three or four. It doesn't have to be one, but like imagine a series of investigations that definitively proves that Trump is a criminal. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's yeah. a fact that the, the, because the way our country is fucked up, he could still survive that. But one of the important lessons also of Tuesday night is that for the first time in like 20 years, independence swung to the left. Mm-hmm. There's still some of those left, you know, and I think that makes 2020 it, it should end the conversation about whether or not he could win again in 2020, like if he was proved to be a, a criminal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that Hopefully. should just be like- One should hope. It would be just the end of conversation, right? right? What I think it could do in this case is actually give Democrats a fighting chance. Finding out that the President of the United States is a criminal could make it harder for him to win an election. Could. But, I mean, yeah. but again, those Democrats and Republicans elected criminals to Congress.
1: Yes. So. And, you know, he's
0: survived, survived he's, a lot. He's
1: survived a lot, which is in, weird and worrying. But yeah. um, I guess one last little prognostication okay. before you head out. Uh, so there are a lot of people saying, well, okay, so. Beto did not win against Ted Cruz, but maybe we should run him for president. How does that, that strikes me as a bad idea to run a man who lost against Ted Cruz against a man who won against Ted Cruz. But
0: I mean, I don't, I could be persuaded. Um, I think he, I don't discount the possibility that he could be a really formidable candidate, especially in a fair election. If, there and let's. The other thing that was on the ballot on Tuesday night, there were several states that did um, election reforms and voting reforms.
1: Yes, very important, especially Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, where, where uh, felon just disenfranchisement was on the ballot, and now up to 1.5 million uh, Florida residents have potential to be reinstated as voters, and that includes 40% of the black male population, adult black male population, and 20% of the African American population overall. Think about that for a second, that 40 percent of black African-American male adults, black African, yeah, I said that was (laughs) 40 percent of black male adults. Black men can vote again in Florida. (laughs) Yeah, they can (laughs) vote again in Florida. And um, Trump won Florida by 100,000 votes in 2016. And and so people were like, well, those are low propensity voters. Number one, that's insulting. Um, Number two, you only need like a small percentage of them to vote. The way that they
1: statistically vote all the time, yes. right? I mean,
0: it's funny. I said this to Chris Christie last night, and he was like, "Well, you know, some felons <laughs> vote for Republicans." And I was like, "Dinesh D'Souza." I was like, "Who else? It's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love it for the. I would love for that to be a campaign issue, like for to compete yeah. for the rights of these these black men. That would be awesome. Yeah, compete for to to say like I'm the party that's going to be good for your you know future. That is a future that I, I I would love a political conversation in this country where Republican Democratic Party were catering to the policy goals of of Black people, yeah, <laughs> in order to get their votes. But that's not going to. Ha- I don't think it's going anyway. So I think I think Beto can win fair elections in places like Florida and Georgia, and he's, I mean know the rumors are real he's like a legit you know charismatic candidate in a way that um not many people are it it is obama-esque yes um i was at the rally he did in austin with willie nelson and that was fifty thousand people yeah you know and i don't think it was the largest rally he did but it was
1: amazing but then even people who are not living in texas because i'm you know talking to people here in new york people were wearing beto shirts yeah
0: while they were voting in new york which is ridiculous my dad wore his while he was voting in georgia ironically
1: yeah (laughs) see so it's like it's people like the fact that there is so much i mean part of it is like okay media bubble
0: whatever but also like he was a real he was a real candidate i mean you're saying and you say he shouldn't run like Ah. i mean i i think if you look at the bench Like, there's a part of me that wants to be like, well, it should be someone who's not a white guy, right? I also, there's a part of me that's like, but running against Donald Trump, like. Yeah. You know, although it also turns out that, like, white ladies did not do, did not do Beto any favors. No. Um. I mean we'll see like I think that he has a shot in a competitive primary again like I like a future in which the conversation is one between you know Beto and Elizabeth Warren like that seems like a win for pe- for people with progressive policy goals right yeah. I mean <laughs> one should hope I mean and if he and, and if he drags some people to the left I don't think that's a disaster in a nationwide election anymore No, Like, I think one of the things that we saw in Florida and Georgia and Texas is you had unashamed progressives running in in becoming coming closer than than moderate candidates have ever have ever come.
1: Exactly. And that the the myth of the moderate. So is a myth.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think a genuinely progressive candidate. I, I hope that that's what progressives and democrats and liberals that is the sort of weird coalition i hope that's what they (laughs) i hope that's what they settle on i think um you know one of the things that i try to end on a good note here which is that um there's a lot of social science studies that show when people are when white people and people in general, too, uh, are primed to start thinking about their in-group identity, whether that's whiteness or even something random. There are studies about how if you sort people into entirely random groups but give them a name, they will then favor people who are t- they, they're they told belong to that same group. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it, it's crazy. But this works with specifically white people, and Donald Trump has made it work, right? If you alert people to their white identity, if you make it salient, white people will tend to respond by preferring other white people. Mm. It works the other way, too. And that's what you saw in Texas and Florida and Georgia, is that when you, when you alert people to their identity as out they can respond by rallying, and I, I think that that's that's the contest of our future. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to the Harper's Magazine podcast, produced and edited by Violet Luca. The music is cut and shoot by Febrifuge. Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly in America, exploring the issues that drive our national conversation through long-form narrative journalism and essays. To get 12 issues for $21.97, visit harpers.org save.